All right, if you have a Bible, uh, by the way, uh, Matthew 11. Matthew 11 is where we're going to be tonight. Uh, Matthew 11, verses 25 uh, to 30. Um, And we will read that in just a second. I grew up a Christian, um, grew up, uh, excuse me, grew up in a Christian uh, household. I came to faith in Jesus um, around uh, 14 years old, something like that. Um, Lived a fairly gnarly life until God really convicted me of my sin and, and brought me to, to faith in Jesus, sensed uh, a call to ministry, whatever that kind of meant and felt like um, in high school. And really ever since high school, been giving myself to, to ministry, to church work, volunteer, um, and then now obviously uh, doing it full time, paid to do it. But um, uh, in college, there were two instances when I was here at Baylor, I think both of them here at Baylor, where um, I if I was completely honest, and I was completely honest at the time with myself and with God, I wanted to quit Christianity. Um, I got to a point where I was just completely, utterly exhausted. There was this deep, deep spiritual fatigue where I had to come to God and tell him, God, there has to be another way to do this Christianity thing. There has to be another way to do this Bible thing. Because the way I'm doing it and the road I'm on, there's no way it's sustainable. You know, it's like getting on a treadmill and turning it up um, full throttle and just going, I can maybe last a second, a minute, but there's no way. I mean, this is going to end badly for me. Um, So I just had this deep spiritual fatigue. I knew at the core of it, at the core of it was this desire to please God, but this constant sense that I don't. This desire to please him, this desire to know his smile, his delight, his love for me, but this constant sense, this repeating sense of I don't, I can just never get there, I can just never secure it, and the result was just this this absolute fatigue. Um, If you've played sports, you've worked out, whatever, you know physical exhaustion can hurt, physical pain hurts, but there's no there's really no pain um, in exhaustion, like spiritual exhaustion. Some of you maybe are in it right now and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe some of you have gone through it. And maybe some of you at some point, you'll remember what I'm saying now and it might help. There's really no exhaustion, like spiritual um, exhaustion. Charles Spurgeon, uh, who's, who's kind of widely considered one of the greatest preachers uh, of all time. He said this, the mind can descend far lower than the body. For in it, in the mind, there are bottomless pits. The flesh can bear only a certain number of wounds and no more, but the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over again each hour. The, the body can only go so far and you know that the pain will end, it'll be over, but the mind, the soul is just this bottomless pit. And it can just die over and over and over again. That's why there's no fatigue. There's no exhaustion and pain like spiritual fatigue. Um, I think that our spiritual exhaustion and fatigue is often the result of laboring and toiling to win over God's heart. To know that we have his heart. Like a young child trying to win his father's approval. You know, to know that he rests secure um, in his father's love. And I think that the laboring, the laboring that leads to the fatigue is the result of a tension that we feel, a tension that we sense. On the one hand, we know that God is this holy, righteous, sinless judge of all the earth. We know that, okay? 
And we know that this God punishes sinners. And on the other hand, we know that the God of the Bible is also a gracious, merciful God that loves sinners and saves sinners. So the question is, which is it? What is God really like? What is he really like? What's his deepest heart uh, towards you and me? This tension, that tension right there, I know that God is this holy, righteous God, and I'm a sinner, and that sounds in and of itself like there's a problem. But I also know that in the Bible, he's gracious and he's merciful. There's this tension of what is he really like? That in that tension is a bottomless pit, and you can die 10,000 ways, to use Spurgeon's words. So what is God really like? Most spiritual exhaustion, I think, is the result of not getting the answer to that question right. What is he really like? What is his heart towards you right now, uh, tonight? In, into that reality, Jesus preaches, saying, this is the heart of God towards you. <laughs> And that's in Matthew 11. So read with me uh, Matthew 11, verses 25 uh, to 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, what is going on in this text that we're going to explore? Like today, everyone around Jesus had an idea of what God is like. Everyone has an idea naturally of what God is like, and it was the same back then. This is natural. There was this debate about um, the debate about who God is was really underneath the debate about Jesus. In Matthew 11, throughout the Gospels, you see people debating who is Jesus really. And oftentimes underneath that debate, determining the answer to that question was the debate about what is God like? Um, who is God really? So the logic would be, would be like this. God would never hang out with prostitutes. Jesus does at times, therefore there's no way he's God. Make sense? This is what God is like in my mind, and Jesus doesn't fit the mold, so there's no way he can be God. So the, 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 the question of who is God was really underneath the question of uh, who is Jesus. This debate about Jesus and who is God really is raging in this chapter. Okay, where our text is from. John the Baptist asks, are you the one Jesus who is to come or should we look for another? John the Baptist is asking Jesus, who are you really? Okay. Um, now, how did they get God wrong? Like today, everyone had an idea of who God is. What is he really like? What's his heart like? Um, how were they getting him wrong? We get two clues in the text. Uh, clue number one is this, that actually surprisingly, we're told in the text that the wise and understanding were getting God wrong. But the little kiddos were getting him right. The wise and understanding were getting him wrong. I could kind of put it like this to give a, a little bit of a general idea. We would think that the religious elite, you know, the philosophy majors like me and Nicholas, um, would get, they'd get God uh, right. They know what God is like. You know, they, they preach at RUF, 
Um, they, they, sure, they're the hard workers. They're the ones who not only do they not want to sin, they don't even want to do something that might look like sin to someone uh, looking on. Surely they're the ones who know all about um, God, not the little kids, not the little burdens, you know, the, the, the burdens of society who've never put in an honest day's work. They don't, I mean, they don't know, you know, they ask silly questions about who God is. I mean, surely not them. So clue number one to how are they getting God wrong is Jesus says it's actually not the wise and understanding getting God right. It's actually not the religious elite of his time getting God right, but it's actually the little, it's the little kids. What this uh, means is that uh, we naturally think that God is only known and accessible. A good relationship with this is only had to the spiritual performers, to the spiritual hard workers, you know, the religious elite. That's what we, that's what we think. Those seasoned in sanctification, you know, that's who God is accessible to. That's who God really likes when he wants to figure out who to hang out with on the weekend. Okay. Clue number two is in verse 28. If you look at verse 28, Jesus says this famous verse, come to me, all who look at this labor and are heavy laden. Jesus here is speaking not to like um, someone with this uh, blue collar uh, job who, who, who you know, mainly works with their hands. He's speaking into spiritual realities here, spiritual toil, spiritual labor and fatiguing toil. He's talking to people fatigued, depressed. They are depressed souls under the spiritual um, exhaustion and work, feeling the weight of their sin, feeling the weight of I am a sinner and God is this holy, righteous God of all the earth. Maybe there's grace for me. I'm not really sure. They were under a weight and it was actually a weight that the religious leaders of the day put on them. Uh, Jesus said this, they, talking about the religious leaders of the day, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. Okay, so Jesus is speaking to that reality. What this means is that we think naturally God is only accessible to those working extremely hard. Right? Those who, uh, again, get to preach at RUF or give the announcements at RUF or work on staff at a church. You know, that's who, that's who gets to talk to God freely. Me, I'm not so sure that you hear many of my prayers, if um, any of them. The result was a crushing pressure. The result was the opposite of rest. This never-ending uh, treadmill of just going and going and going and trying to find rest and security in God and just never uh, having it. Um, the people around Jesus thought like we do. They thought like we do, naturally, in and of ourselves. Who is God? Basically inaccessible, distant, but sometimes near. Sometimes comes near. Uh, what is God's disposition? He's annoyed at best. That's like a good day. God is annoyed, but sometimes gets angry and that's when you run for the hills. But sometimes he does relent, like randomly, strangely. Sometimes he just doesn't burst out in anger. What's God's heart? It's exacting and demanding or else. If you cut God open, what does he bleed? Justice. Sometimes randomly you get grace. What is God eager to do? Give sinners their due. That's what he's eager to do justice. If he wakes up on the right side of the bed, he wakes to punish. If you catch him off guard, his flinch is a flinch of rejection. That's what God is like, we think, naturally. That's his deepest heart. That's his disposition. After all, he's a holy God who hates sin, and I'm a sinner, and you're a sinner, and we're all sinners. 
So that's basically our reality. And so we hope against hope that we might work hard enough to escape judgment. We might work hard enough and do enough of the right things to get grace. You know, we might just catch grace, maybe accidentally. Maybe there's a loophole in the Bible we can find, some kind of technicality, you know, that we could be saved on, something, you know, hopefully. Now, to put us in a tailspin, the reality is, is some of this isn't, I mean, isn't it biblically sound? I mean, isn't it true, and it is, that we are sinful, that we deserve punishment, that God does punish I mean, have you read some of the Old Testament where you're just like, like, oh, I'm just going to wake up for my devotional today, you know, and you're reading and it's like, and the earth opened up and swallowed everyone. And you're like, what? You know? You're like, oh, just, you're going to read my Bible for class. And it's like, and it rained so long that everyone drowned, you know? Um... So, so isn't it true that, that God does punish, that he has a law, that he has 10 commandments and it's exacting? You know, you're like, God, I have never murdered anyone, you know? And he's like, except for all of those people in your heart, you know, you serial killer. Isn't his law exacting and demanding? Isn't hell real? Yes, yes. The answer is yes. This is all biblically sound, okay? Matthew 11 even speaks of judgment. So here's the question. Let's go back to the question. So what is God really like? You read the earth opened and swallowed everyone. That's a real story from the Bible. And you go like, okay, solid ground, you know, like don't screw up. Uh, What is God really like? Many of us resolve the tension like this. We embrace a technicality. We think God is gracious. Yes. And for some strange reason, he sent Jesus to die on the cross. And um, I have believed in him and therefore I'm covered and I'm forgiven, but God has grown tired of me. And if he could take it all back, he would because he's grown tired of me. So I'm just saved on a technicality. It's just a technicality. Like my dad hates me, but he's just not going to kick me out of the house. Right. God loves me. Sure. You know, I'm just like hiding under Jesus, you know. Um, and if he could take it all back, he would, but he's just not going to. It's just a technicality, you know? So we exhaust ourselves in this technicality trying to win over God's heart. We don't like that. I don't want to just think like I'm saved on a technicality. I want to know that God actually loves me. Like, I want to know that his heart is for me. And so, and so into this reality, Jesus reveals the deepest heart of God. The deepest heart of God for you. Look at verse 28. It says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's unpack this. Come to me. In one sense, that's terrifying. Uh, The last place I want to go with my sin and shame and darkness is to a holy God. I'd like to go the opposite way and go hide. So in one sense, that sounds terrifying. And yet he says, come to me and I will give you rest, not judgment. Rest, not rejection. Rest, not condemnation. And notice it's immediate rest. It's not the result of working. He doesn't say, come to me. I have a 12-step discipleship manual. We'll work through it over the next year and then you will find rest. He just says, come and you will find rest right here and right now. It's the rest as a result of quitting. He is saying, quit, and you'll find rest. Give up, 
and you will find rest. This rest, this word is used of the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember what the disciples did with Jesus when he was praying? They fell asleep, right? That was, that's the rest Jesus is talking. It's the same word. I will give you rest. It's like the rest of sleep, just being conked out, doing nothing, you know? That's the kind of rest that Jesus is saying, I will give you. Now, how is this possible? How is it possible that the holy God here, the holy son of God is saying sinners, dirty, vile sinners can come to me and and I will give you rest. How can the righteous judge of all the earth do that? Here's the answer. Because of what God is actually like. Because of what his deepest heart actually is. Look at verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for... In other words, I'm going to explain how this is possible. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. So he says, this is possible because of what I'm really like. Because of my heart and what my heart is like. He first says, I am gentle and then lowly. Gentle here is the same word described of Jesus. When he rides into Jerusalem, you remember what he rides on? A donkey. Now, if you see someone riding on a donkey, you don't look at them and go like, wow, intimidating, bold, kind of scared to walk up to them and talk to them. No, someone on a donkey looks like someone on a donkey, right? Like not intimidating. Like you would totally walk up to them and be like, what's up, dude? I think I'm better than you because you're riding a donkey, right? That's the, that's the, the gentleness here is the gentleness of someone who rides up on a donkey, welcoming, accessible, as accessible as you can be. Lowly, it says I'm gentle and I'm lowly or I'm humble. Uh, Lowly here is the opposite of distant. Lowly here is the opposite of, of being above you, you know, where, where Jesus is just above us and he's just, we're all beneath him. You know, and we're, we're just like, we're so beneath him. He doesn't have time for us. He's saying, I'm the opposite of that. Um, he is not distant. He's not um, above us in that, in that kind of way. He's not frightening in that kind of way. That's not, I mean, you, you guys know, that's not what happens in the gospels. You have the worst of the worst. Go get dinner with Jesus very freely. Um, and seemingly have a good time. So Jesus is not intimidating and above us in that way. He's mild. He's tender. He's accessible. He's safe. He's inviting. That's what God is like. That's his heart. What is God's heart towards you in your sin? What is God's heart towards you in your sin tonight? It is compassionate. It is merciful. It is welcoming, it is accessible, it is safe for you. It's safe. That's what his heart is like. That's what you get when you go to him with your sin. That's what you get with Jesus. You might not get it with your best friend. You might not get it with your girlfriend. You might not get it with your dad. That's what you get with Jesus. When you go to Jesus with your dark stuff, like not the lame stuff, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I thought you know, a bad thought in my heart. No, like I literally just killed someone last night, Jesus. Compassion, mercy, welcome, safety. That's what you get with him. That is his heart towards you. This is why God says in Ezekiel, I want to unpack this and press this on you. This is why God says in Ezekiel, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I have no pleasure 
in the death of the wicked. God is committed to justice, okay? He is righteous. He is pure. He is holy. He is committed uh, to justice. He hates sin. But do you know what he takes pleasure in? Saving sinners. He doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked, even though that's justice. Uh, That's his deepest heart. Puritan Thomas Goodwin said that punishment for sin is God's, quote, strange work, but mercy pleases him. He's committed to it, but it's mercy that pleases his heart. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, who's famous for a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Let that sink in for a minute. That's what he's famous for. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I know all of you are going to run home. you like, got to find that sermon. Um, <laughs> Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Do you know what Jonathan Edwards said? He said this, God is a God that delights in mercy and judgment is his strange work. He's committed to judgment. You read the Old Testament, sometimes the earth just opens up. He's committed to judgment. But, but mercy, mercy pleases him. R.C. Sproul, one of my heroes, says, even though he is committed to judgment, he doesn't get his jollies by subjecting people to punishment like a sadistic tyrant would. But how, how natural is it for us to think the opposite? Right? How natural is it to think that God is like this tyrant in the sky who gets his jollies um, off of justice and wrath for sinners. To us, grace feels strange and surprising. It feels strange and surprising. Like every now and then it happens like a lightning strike, but not often. Um, And yet what we find in the Bible, what we find in Matthew 11, is God is not like us. We are quick to anger. We are slow to mercy. And we find God is just not like us. He's quick to mercy. He's quick to grace. He's slow to anger. He's slow to judgment. You read the Old Testament, and it's just again and again and again, Israel and God's people just spitting in his face. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Okay, guys, fine. If you want the earth to open up, okay. But can we go back to the the business of mercy? That's, That's basically the Old Testament. And it's a little longer than that, okay? If you want to read it. Um... Day Nortland says this, we tend to think this, divine anger is pent up, spring-loaded. Divine mercy is slow to build, but it's just the opposite. Divine mercy is ready to burst forth at the slightest prick. What does this mean for you if you bring your sin, your hardcore stuff, the stuff that most embarrasses you, to Jesus? What does it mean? It means the only thing he knows to do is welcome you. If you bring your sin to Jesus, the only thing he knows to do is welcome you. Because that's who he is. That's his heart. If you prick him with a confession of sin, grace comes out. Mercy flows. Compassion flows. That's who he is. That's what God is like. Now, you might think, Colin, you don't understand. Um, What about the sin I keep going to? The unspeakable things the abortion I had, I'm a pathological liar. What about, I mean, you don't understand. This text is saying to you and to me in that reality, you think your sin repels him, but it's your sin that brought him out of heaven. Jesus didn't come because you are super righteous, right? Jesus didn't show up on the earth because you are just so good. Jesus came because you're just so bad and I am so sinful. That's why he came. 
Your sin doesn't repel him in that way. He said, I came not to call the righteous. I'm not here to save the righteous people. They don't need saving. I'm here to save those who know they're drowning. I'm here to save sinners. Thomas Goodwin, again, he says, your, your very sins move him to pity more than to anger. I've got three little boys under five. When they run into the street, um, my first reaction is not, how dare you? Welcome to the world of justice. <laughs> right? No, no. What happens is I'm overtaken by compassion. Like I will take a car head on for them. Were they stupid in that moment? Yes. Were they sinful and dishonoring and disobeying me because I've told them a thousand times, don't go in the street? Yes. Dumb, stupid, foolish, right? But I'm not like, I'm not like, dude, look at those dumb, stupid, foolish kids in the street out there. You know, I'm going to give them their due. No. No, I go, man, what? I have such compassion on you and all of your foolishness. That's why I'm here to save you, right? That's the heart of Jesus. Now you may go calm. What about the father though? I know I get Jesus is gracious and merciful. What about the father? What about him? Is the God of the Old Testament like still mad and then Jesus comes to cool things off? How does this work? Just simply remember this. It was the father that sent Jesus in the first place. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It was the father that sent Jesus. And then Jesus is the exact imprint of the father. So whatever Jesus' heart is, that's the heart of the father. If you cut Jesus and he bleeds mercy, so does the father. Just remember that. When, if you want to see the father, you look at Jesus. You look at him. This is the heart of God for you. We'll wrap this up. For God so loved the world... And has so much pleasure in mercy and so much delight in grace and so much joy in saving dirty sinners that he sent Jesus for you to bear the hard yoke of the law for you to live a sinless life on your behalf so that his yoke on you would be easy. It'd be the yoke of rest, not trying to fulfill the law to to secure God's heart. To bear the heavy burden of the cross and the strange work of judgment on the cross for sin so that you could bear the burden, um, his burden, which is light. It's the, it's the burden of rest. It's the yoke of rest. So, yes, it is true that God has wrath, but he doesn't want you to ever taste any of it. And so Jesus went to the cross and drank the cup of wrath in full. It's true that God is a judge and he wants to declare you innocent. And so he sent Jesus to be declared guilty on the cross in your place. Jesus, who was without sin, he just takes your place. It's true, hell is real, and God doesn't want you to go there. He doesn't have pleasure in the death of the wicked. So Jesus went to the hell of condemnation on the cross for you. Because that's God's delight. That's his joy. That's where he gets his jollies. Uh, it's true tonight that God is gentle and lowly towards you. That is his heart. Amen?